Welcome to the Vox Pop. This is a podcast from Missio Day Church. We believe everyone has a story worth telling. This podcast exists to give voice to those stories. We're your hosts. I'm Peter. And I'm Hannah. Today we are joined by Alex Williams. Welcome to the Vox Pop, Alex. Thank you, Peter. So we're going to start off with a UK lightning round. Beautiful. Excellent. So these are going to come at you fast. All right. Okay. Vacation or holiday? Holiday. Holiday. Football or soccer? Well, it depends because there's soccer, there's football, and then there's throwball. Just get, just say something. Oh. Is throwball throw is not a thing. Throwball is definitely is a that thing. rugby? No, no. Throw is American football is throwball. Oh, <laughs> I mean, think about it. it I've makes, heard it called hand egg. Did a toddler? Like that? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> football, football for like the two times in a game, the foot touches the ball. No, it's throwball. I'm with you. No, uh, I I have committed to soccer just for the sake of my son. Okay, I love that. Yeah. yeah. All right. What's the proper way to make tea? Oh. See, I'm not a tea drinker. This is the thing. My wife's family were very. They told they told her that they got a broken brick because I don't drink tea. <laughs> uh, my memory from making my mother tea would be tea bag in, then hot water, and then let it stoop, and then tea bag out, and then a little bit of milk. Yeah, but I mean, I am not precious over that commodity. We were researching like what is the mm-hmm. difference between the British people and Americans, and mm-hmm. we saw these memes from. England, and they're like, did you know Americans sell liquid tea in jugs? <laughs> like, that's crazy. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, biscuit or scone? Oh. Um, well, they're, they're not the same thing. I know, but we're asking you, what is your verbiage? I think they're the same. No, they're not. The, I mean, it'd be like me asking you, like, I, I can't even think of something, you know, cookie or juice. I mean, they're, they're two different <laughs> things. Cookie. <laughs> well, that's the next question. Yeah, scone. Scone then. Cookie or biscuit? Oh, biscuit. They're the same to you, right? Is uh, a biscuit a cookie or is that a mis- Yeah, well, I mean, the thing, there's a, a much wider variety of versions of, and I can't do like whatever this is called. Quote yeah. unquote. Quote unquote, yeah. Um, co- like cookies, like I feel like cookies in America are like chocolate chip cookies and yeah. that's about it. There's yeah. a few variations, but not many. Whereas you go to the supermarket in England and there are aisles committed to Dozens and hundreds and millions of different types of biscuits. Can you explain what a digestive is? Oh, it's 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 the kind of thing that removes most of the liquid from your mouth in the first bite. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really designed for dunking into tea okay. or coffee. Uh, it's bas- it's just it's a thin wafer. sand. Yeah, it's sand sand formed biscuit. Yeah, yeah, it's probably pretty good. Perfect. Excellent. Do you agree that tax should be included in the price of an item? Yes. Yes. I mean. I don't get to the, I, I mean, you get to the checkout and then it's just a guessing game of math. All right, so this <laughs> says it's eight ninety nine, so it could be eight ninety nine, or it could be eleven twenty three, or I mean, it's just, yeah. just say what it is. And varies by state. Oh, it's madness. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, <laughs> it is insanity. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, yeah. should lemonade be fizzy? Yes. Do you say Z or Z? Oh, mm. I think I say Z now. It's hot. People ask me all the time, what do you, how is this an English word? And I don't remember anymore. Oh. Yeah. Like I've, I often ask Sharon to say, is this American or is this English? Yeah. I don't even remember. Anymore. Yeah. But mm. I think I say Z now. That's fun. I've changed a lot just for the the sanity of my son so mm-hmm. he doesn't become this like hybrid, <laughs> mixed up child in school. I've met one of those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you call the animal that looks like a horse but has stripes all over it and it's in Africa, black and white stripes? 
Zebra. Zebra. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I had some South African teammates in cycling. Yes. And yeah, yep. he would say zebra. I had a wilderness first responder teacher, and he was from Australia. And his kids had this funky hybrid mm-hmm. American Australian like accent. It would go in and out, and then they would say things like all crazy. And one time we, he was zoned out, and he was like, "I was looking at that cherry picker out the tree. What do you guys call it in America?" <laughs> We're all like, "Cherry picker." <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty, yeah. I'm very happy that Callum very clearly says water like we got his t and his r in there it's not water water, (laughs) and he knows it daddy a cup of water please water perfect there is hope for you you sound wonderful (laughs) it is nicer sounding (laughs) do you wear sneakers i do wear sneakers not trainers not trainers not trainers anymore Mm -hmm. you used to wear trainers i used to wear trainers okay i used to love trainers yeah we're, we're done with this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what does it mean if someone wants your John Hancock? Uh, oh, signature. Yeah. Good job. Thanks. That was on the citizenship test. Really? Okay. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Can you explain the following sayings? And these might be too easy because okay. you've been here a little while. All right. Uh, easy as pie. Easy as pie? Yeah. Just, it's simple. Simple. The whole nine yards. Um, I mean, it's like, it's that movie, right? No. Um, like, you, like, you complete something. Go the whole way. Mm-hmm. Which I don't get. Why is it the whole nine yards? Because I'm guessing it's a football term, which is ten yards. No, it's, no, not. it's oh, not. Oh, okay. I we had to look it up. This. Oh, okay. It refers to cement trucks uh, or a kilt. Uh, the nine yards that yeah. the Scottish would make in mm-hmm. World War II for their ammunition kilt. Gotcha. Well, there you go. Every day is a school day. More bang for your buck. More bang for your buck. Um, just more, more, more for what you put in. More end result mm-hmm. for what you put in. Mm-hmm. Doing good. Thanks. That's I mean, so why I came here was for yeah. the, yeah. the, the idioms. Yeah, the, yeah. the, 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 e, the ego stroking. <laughs> you did really well. And the last one, foot in the door. Foot in the door. Um, you know, making making an inroad, like getting getting in there. Wow. Pass. Yeah. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. <laughs> Here's your citizen card. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so easy. Well, thanks for playing along. You got it. Yeah. So we've alluded to the fact, but can you explain where you grew up? What kind of kid were you? Kind of some facts about your childhood. Yeah. Uh, was born in deep Louisiana. Um, <laughs> was raised by gators. Um, Cajun shrimper. Cajun shrimper. That's me. Matt Forrest on the bayou. No. Uh, so from England originally. Uh, from a kind of working class city town called Stoke-on-Trent. Yeah. And so that's where I'm from. I've been... In fact, in about two weeks' time, I guess, I've been stateside for eight years. Wow. Um, which has gone by very quickly. And so growing up was product of a, of a broken home, which happens. But, you know, growing mm-hmm. up as a, a white kid in England in a middle-class, nice little village, you know, it you know it was kind of easy, you know. You know I remember going to, you know, my primary school wasn't a private primary school. Private school wasn't like a Christian school. It was just standard primary school. But, you know, every morning we would sit down and in our assembly and we would sing hymns and because that was just kind of what it was mm. like then. And, mm. you know, it, Church of England is everywhere. And so, you know, you're kind of white, middle class, go to school. Therefore, you're a Christian because that's just, you know, yeah. you were born into it. You're in God's country. Therefore, you're God's child, right? That's how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the queen and she's, 
you know, God's daughter, I think, is yep. the appropriate. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course, I'm, I'm joking. But no, I, it, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah it's true. Yeah, it's true. Okay. She's been around for 3,000 years. <laughs> no, <laughs> I didn't know that you were joking. Oh, like, okay. <laughs> I didn't know if there was some sort of, like, I know very little about the history of the Church of England. Sure. She, she's basically considered, like, I mean, uh, what's the word? Is she akin to the Pope? No, the but, like, okay. deity. No, she's not. Oh, yeah, no. no. Really? No. I thought people like worshipped her. I mean, some people, Americans like the royal family more than most British people like the royal family. Oh, okay. Um, Like there are some like diehard royalists, like my mum is a royalist and she loves the royal family. And there are people who like get rid of them. They are just like antiquated and. Yep. So when they say get rid of them, Mm -hmm. they mean do away with the royal family or that royal family? The royal family. In the whole thing. Like as an institution. Yeah. Yeah. A a lot of, and I'm not going to make any statement one way or the other, but a lot of people would make an argument that they, they, they are tax freeloaders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, The the counter argument is that it's a institution that has guided the entire country and Commonwealth for centuries and they bring in more money from tourism than they take from the government. So it's what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But all that being said, no, I do want to be on record. The queen is not God's daughter. She's not been around for 3,000 years. She's not a deity. And she's not a deity. But she may live forever. I don't know. Did you have brothers and sisters? (laughs) No, I am uh, an only child, which I didn't understand that that was a thing until Mm -hmm. I was, I think I was 24 and I was talking, I was having lunch with a group of friends and and we were talking siblings and and I mentioned that I was Mm -hmm. an only child. And a friend whose name is Angie, and she lives out in Portland, she she said, she looked at me, she said, oh, okay, okay, that makes that, sense. That makes sense. Yeah. That's exactly what she said. And I'm like, really? what do you mean? What yeah. what does that mean? And then that that opened the can of worms of mm. of what it means to be an only child, which yeah. meant nothing to me, because yeah. why wouldn't you want to be an only child? Right. So mom and dad, were they in your life when you were young? Yeah. yeah. So, so um, my mom and my biological dad, they, uh, they separated and, and divorced when I was... At 18 months mm. or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my mum remarried when I was four or five. And then sadly, that marriage ended as well just before I turned 13. Mm. And so despite what that may sound like, I feel like I had a really great childhood. Mm-hmm. That, you know, all aspects of my family were involved in my life, were, you know, loving and, and engaged. And, and so, it you know, it you know on paper it may sound like, ooh, whatever word you would put to that sound I just made. But um, it, it never felt like it was a, it was a negative, mm. per se. You know, there was certainly like a, a small season in my teenagers, and that's probably true for any teenage boy, you know, you know finding that space from being a child to be, trying to become independent mm. and, you know, pushing back against parents of any figure, you know, where it was kind of like, oh, you know, why and what does this mean? And, and, and you know, some of those questions. But it was never really a debilitating yeah. kind of yeah. You mentioned that you were singing hymns in primary school and it was in the air, is in the culture. Yeah. Um, when did faith become personal for you? So there's, there's two moments which I'll mention. One I don't really remember that well, but my mom reminds me of when I was nine and went to some concert by somebody who I don't remember his name. Um, NSYNC. That was it, yeah. 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 It was yeah. When I was nine. Yeah, it was NSYNC, yeah, that's right. Um, and... Um, uh, it was a Christian guy who was doing music or whatnot in a, in a theater, and he did a like a call to faith. And I, you know, I remember 
I say remember, I don't really remember, but I, I'm reliably told that, you know, as a nine-year-old, I just kind of s- stood up of my own volition and, you know, followed whatever prayer that was being led and that kind of stuff. Um, but I wouldn't really say that was a particularly impactful or massive moment in my life because, you know, you know, growing up sports was was my big thing. You know, I loved soccer, and, <laughs> but mainly rugby. Like, I, yeah. I, you know, rugby was my, my life. Yeah. Uh, my childhood and teen years, and, and despite the condition of me today, uh, I was pretty good. Uh, and, and and sports were Sunday morning, and so as soon as I got to that age of like committing to sports, then you know you don't you don't go to church because it's far more important to go mm-hmm. play, play sports. Mm-hmm. But when I was I was fifteen, there was as often as the case. I feel like I've heard this a lot, but you know there was a very pretty girl who I very much liked who went to the youth group at the church directly across the street from my high school. And uh, I knew she went there. And so I was like, all right, well, time to go there because that's that's where this girl is, mm-hmm. right? And so, and it was towards the end of the school year. And, you know, I went, I guess it was on a Friday night or whatever, went a couple of times. And that youth leader said, hey, you know, we're going on this this camp in a, you know, in, for a week in the summer, you know, would you be interested in, in coming? And I'm, you know, I love camping and, you know, did the scouts and all that kind of stuff. And, and I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Perfect. You know, is, is this is this girl going? Because that's, I mean, I'm definitely there if she's there. Yeah. And she was. So I was like, I'm in. And so I went along and I was blindsided. I did not know what I was going to. Mm. I was thinking camping in the woods, making right. fires, you know, yeah. camping. It was not. It was this huge youth event. So there, there is this, and honestly, I've not looked at it for a long time. I'm, I'm hoping and assuming it's still in existence, but there was this massive youth movement called Soul Survivor, okay, which um, which came out of a church in a town called Watford in England. Uh, there's a, a guy called Mike Pilavacci who was immensely impactful in mine and the lives of thousands and thousands of children. And so, Soul Survivor was this camp, and it was ten thousand teenagers on this huge field in I can't remember the name of the town, but this little place in the south of England. And um, the year that I was, and so you know, it was um, you know you know a, a huge tent and a morning session of of worship and teaching and um, and then like seminars and stuff in the afternoon and then the same thing in the evening and you know just I mean genuinely ten thousand teenagers and they would do it over a couple of weeks period and and I remember going there thinking what well, what the heck is this this is kind of weird yeah uh, and, and I. Um, they had, gosh, what are they called? Like seating. Um, stadium seats? Yeah, or? stadium seating. Yeah. What's, what what would you call them again? Bleachers. Bleachers, there you go. Yep, thanks. And and I remember getting there, and the first night I sat, I mean, again, there were eight, ten thousand 10,000 people, and I sat in the very back corner of the very furthest away bleacher because I was like, this isn't camping. Like, what? what right. I'm here for a week. Like, I was nothing, well, yeah. four yeah. five days. And, and, and Louis Giglio was the like the the lead person for the whole week and i'm like well, this guy's funny and cool and you know generally liked what he was saying but there was also like some you know that you know it's very charismatic charismatic yeah okay. and 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 you know i was like seeing stuff where i was like what i don't know if i trust what that is yeah that? is that that girl really just stand up from a wheelchair what is and i left that week a little freaked out mm. but a little intrigued mm-hmm. Things didn't work out with that pretty girl, which was a shame. But on, mm-hmm. that, on this week's, found another pretty girl, even better. Yes. And I ended up dating this other pretty girl, which is, you know, 
even even better for like two weeks as, <laughs> as a teenager and it's like a long-term relationship and we went to the movies once and oh yeah. yeah and she was part of another youth group that was there in the mm. same town that i was from and, and so i ended up going so i spent a year and i went to that youth group for, for that year and it was really it was great it, it felt like a real community made some friendships and it felt really warm and accepting and was it was just interesting and so a year goes by and we go back to the same camp i end up going for for two weeks, so I went back to back these the same two weeks, and uh, and I was I was fifteen sixteen. I, I forget exactly. I guess I was fifteen. I turned sixteen. My birthday in September, and I don't remember the night. I don't remember the 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 story. The I don't remember, yeah. but I remember an instant of. You know, it was you know Matt Redman and, and Tim Hughes, like they all came out of Soul Survivor. I should have said huh. that. Like all yeah. those people came from Soul Survivor. So this hugely impactful, you know, youth ministry. And and so there, there was one evening where like things were dying down and, and you know the worship was still going and and I was just I remember being on my knees just kind of in in that moment, kind of in that moment of in, in that presence moment. Mm-hmm. And and I remember saying at that time to Jesus, okay, I think I'm in. Like this is, I've seen enough, mm-hmm. I've heard enough, I've met enough people, and you know, and and that that was the time I mentioned earlier about you know there's that little season where you know, kind of you know teenagers push back against their parents mm-hmm. and you know a couple questions about you know family and dad and all that kind of stuff, uh, and and that was the time I was I was I say dealing with it because it makes it sound like it was this big issue it mm-hmm. wasn't but it was kind of on my mind and so that all that stuff culminated in this moment of saying, okay, I, I'm in. Like I'm in, and, and and I think they were my words in my head. It was like, okay, I'm in. Mm-hmm. Like this is, I can see that this is the direction that I want my life to go in, and and I want to I want to follow, and then that that then started started that journey really, and and so that's when I would say that kind of faith really began for me. Did you have people around you immediately after that, like discipling you, or what did the next few years look like? Yeah, so I I I stayed with with that youth group. Um, that that second one that I had become part of, and and that really became my, my I say my family, but you know my, mm-hmm. my peer family. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, you know just some really great friendships, and there were a couple of the, those leaders who were really significant in helping to guide and challenge and encourage and and pastor me, I guess. The so it ended up being a Church of England church, but there's this weird spectrum of Church of England in England. There's like the really high, almost kind of Roman Catholic looking kind of mm-hmm. churches, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Church of England churches. And then there's like a vineyard version, and which is much more, I guess, charismatic and laid mm-hmm. back and relaxed. And the church that I was part of was, was on that end of the spectrum. And so we had a vicar, but he didn't really call himself a vicar. Uh, and, and, and so his name was Nigel. His wife's name was Annie. And she was together, but you know, she in particular was, was very significant person in in those first two years, I guess. Um, and then when I was eighteen and finished school, is just done differently in the UK. I'm not, mm-hmm. not going to get into that, but you know, eighteen, I finished school and had a decision to make of: do I go into higher education? Do I do I do something else? Mm-hmm. And I took a, a year out uh, with a British charity called the Pays Project, P A I S. And was that an acronym? No, I think it was Greek for something, okay. which I'm sure peace or something like that. No, I don't know. I don't know. It, yeah. it meant something, and I once upon a time knew it. Yeah, and they were predominantly. I mean, it was you know young, you know, eighteen to twenty year olds who wanted to kind of do a discipleship year, almost kind of like a YWAM mm-hmm. kind of thing. But you know, you would be 
historically they were just in the UK and, you know, small teams of four or five or six would go to certain towns and they would get connected to a church and they would work in the local schools and try and be a bridge between school and, and youth groups. And it was a really great mm-hmm. model. And so the year that I signed, you know, I, I got there and it was in the interview process for it. They said, hey, we, we want to do a team in, in Vancouver, Canada. Are you interested? And I, I, I was very fortunate to have traveled a lot. A, mm. being from the UK into Europe is really easy, but my mom in particular had really drilled in, you know, the world is bigger than Stoke-on-Trent, the world is bigger than England, and I'm very fortunate to have, you know, traveled, you know, vacationed, holiday, and all that kind of stuff. So they said, hey, this this new team in, in Vancouver, Canada, are you interested? And I was like, yes. I mean, 100% yes. What You know, what a heartbreak to have to go to Vancouver, Canada yeah. when you're 18, <laughs> 19 for, for a year heartbreak. So I said yes. And so, uh, so myself and... Uh, I, I, there were two other guys initially and, and, and one girl and then our team leader was her name was Rebecca. We went out and we were we were we were in Canada for a year and I got connected to the church that I was hosted by. It was it was a vineyard church, which felt a really easy transition for me from the church I had grown up in and, and, and been part of the previous two years. And David and Judy were the couple and they, they had two children as well. They were massively impactful. In terms, because that, that was a real discipleship year. Mm-hmm. That was a real learning the Bible, learning having confidence in 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 faith. It, that that was that year for me. And David and Judy were were huge, huge markers for one of a better phrase mm-hmm. on my journey mm-hmm. of, of of faith and growth and and, and solidity. But also the, the the two guys that were on my team, Tom and Duncan, were, were my best friends for, for a very long time, and sadly just. Being here for eight years, and, and mm-hmm. you know, we, we sadly lost contact a little bit, um, or a lot of bit. But you know, the, the three of us just—I mean, we, we did everything together, mm-hmm. uh, and it was all focused on on faith and Jesus and and growth and and and, and stretching ourselves and adventuring and, and living this really fun year of. And we were still working in schools and a very different culture because, you know, in Canada, they were not open in the same way historically as the schools in the UK were. They were just like, yeah, and in the UK, like, yeah, if you want to come and run a, a, a Bible study at lunchtime, that's fine. If you want to run this youth group, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. fine. In Canada, it, it wasn't that. It was yeah. mm-hmm. it, it also the first team ever there. And so it was a great, great year. And then so I came back from that year and had deferred a, a place at school. A, a university and it, it was like an outdoor education degree and you know I, I that was I loved that kind of stuff and went up on an open day over the summer with my dad uh, and you know toured it and it was you know it was in this one of the most beautiful places in the UK on this massive lake it was it was perfect mm-hmm. and and we were driving back and my dad said this is great you're gonna live mm-hmm. it and and in my heart I knew you know God was saying this this isn't it this mm-hmm. isn't this isn't where I want you to be and and I remember saying to my dad this I I'm going to have to say no. Mm. And he's like, well, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. But I, what I do know is that I feel God saying, this isn't where you need to be. Mm. And so I politely declined the offer and then went back to like the Soul Survivor summer camp thing. And, and it was, I think I was there for like five weeks because they had like different ages at this stage, you know, teenagers and, and, and um, like young adults and that kind of stuff. And while I was there, found you know, there were like different vendors and stuff. And there was this, youth ministry degree which i'd heard about like two years previously and sworn off because that sounds terrible i am never doing that (laughs) uh and then 
maybe 10 days before the start of school, I'm talking to this guy. I'm thinking, this sounds this sounds really cool. Yeah. And he told me the name of it. I'm like, oh, shoot. This is the thing that two uh-uh. years ago I'd sworn <laughs> off. And I'm like, but I, I, I knew God was saying, this is what I want you to do. I'm like, I mean, school starts in like 10 days. I mean, I, I don't know. And so, you know, some people made some calls on my behalf and, and got me in. And and so I, so I did that. And so it was designed where you would work work and into school, you know, you'd have like a like a full time work yeah. vacation placement kind of thing. So I ended up working as the like youth pay off your room and board and tuition and stuff. Not even. No. Oh. It was I mean, maybe. Like an I, intern thing? Essentially, okay. yeah. Like mm-hmm. an like an internship placement for the three year school. And so I ended up working as the youth pastor at the church that I had ended up going to, you know, for those two years. And so Annie and Nigel kind of became my on site supervisors as they were. And and there was an, another there was another a girl, lady, woman, not guy, mm-hmm. um, who was who was doing it with me, and she, we were in the in the same class. And her name is Becker, and, and she was a lot of fun. And and so so I was there for for, for my three years of school, and then stayed on another year. And I stayed on another year primarily because the the main thing that I did at that church I was proudest of was started a, a boys only youth group. And so there was this group of six kids, you know, fourteen year old boys. We went to the same school together. We lived in the same little village town, and 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 we met on a Friday night. Uh, and the youth group was called it was called LTF, which was shortened for Life to the Full, as in John ten ten. Yeah. And 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 we met weekly and did camps and weekends and 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 it was this incredible journey to. I mean, I was still a kid. My, I'm twenty one. I'm still mm-hmm. a kid myself, and you know, trying to be a guide and 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 all those kin- things to these 14-year-old boys. And so I stayed on that additional year to see them through finishing high school because had I finished, mm-hmm. had I left when my school finished, you know, they would have, you know, I, I wanted to just see that story sure. through. Sure. Uh, and, and side note, a really cool story. Um, there's a couple who joined Missio, Elliot and Britta. I don't oh, know if yeah, you've yeah. met them. Uh-huh. Elliot's from the UK uh-huh. as well. Yeah. I got connected with Elliot because he ended up being really good friends. He met this kid called Joe at school, at university, when they went to university. And Joe was one of those six boys that was in my youth group. That's wild. And so I guess two and wow. a half years ago now, Joe yeah. had messaged me out of the blue, not spoken to him for a long, long time. Yeah. And he said, hey, do you, I've got the, one of my best friends is marrying this American girl and she's got this job in, in, and they're moving to Hendersonville. Is that anywhere near to where you are? And I'm like, yeah, pretty, it's pretty close. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty close. And so that's how we got, and so that's just a really fun wow. side note story. Oh, that's cool. So, so yeah, and so I, you know, I finished school up, and I, you know, I finished that year up, and, and I just worked full time at the church for that year, and was getting really itchy feet, and and knew that knew that I needed something else, yeah. and and I forget how I I forget how I got onto it, but there's there is a really large international missions program called Mercy Ships, mm-hmm. which is it's the world's largest non governmental hospital ship, and it looked I was like I get to live on a on a boat and travel to like different countries in Africa and actually you know, like serve and do stuff. I'm like that. I've taken all the boxes. Like I am in for that. Mm. And, and like I found out during that process, most people I like, will go for a, a month or two or three and kind of test the water mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like, yeah, this, I, I can maybe go back long term because mm-hmm. there are people who raise their kids on the ship. Mm-hmm. There's a school on board. Yeah. It's phenomenal. People are like eight, 10, 15 years. Yeah. And so I said, all right, I'll go for two. I just straight, I'm like, I'm in. I want to do this. Yeah. And they call me a few times like, are you sure you want to do, <laughs> sure do two years? Like, you've not been here yet. I'm like, no, nah, I'm in. That's cool. You know, two feet. Foot, mm-hmm. in, foot in the door, whole nine yards, yes. all those things. <laughs> head uh, first. Head first. 
And so, so they accepted me. And so I flew out on September the 13th, 2009 to East Texas because that's where Mercy Ship's headquarters are. And I remember the date because the following day, I got in really late. So the, the 14th was really the first day. The 14th of September 2009 is the day that I met Sharon. Mm. And that's how I met Sharon was through Mercy Ships. And so we were in Texas for five or so weeks. We did a two-week missions trip to Dominican Republic, which wasn't a missions trip. It was a little hotel by the beach, and we went to move some gravel for two weeks. I mean, so, but yeah. it was fun. Yeah. And then, and then I more or less went straight from there out to Benin, Africa, and, mm -hmm. and joined the ship and, and didn't leave it for two years. Um, and Sharon, who had been on the ship previously for three months early that year, came back with some girlfriends that she'd made, and we lived five doors away. Wow. You know, our cabins were five doors away in this little corridor, and and it was just a – I mean, we eloped. We full-on eloped. Yeah. Like, so we got we got engaged in, in Ghana. Well, we were in, in Togo, and we got engaged in Ghana, and then we got married in South Africa. My, my parents came over. I mean, there's no way – again, only child. There's no way my mom is not coming to – wedding of her only yeah, child sure. but Sharon's parents both didn't and couldn't come uh, I didn't meet her parents so we've been married for a little over two years which wow. was if anybody who's that's the way to go if you'll listen <laughs> you know, that's the way to do it it's just the way to do it and so um and so yeah so we had our first year of marriage on on the ship in Sierra Leone and you know that's that's a good way to test a marriage good yeah. way to test a relationship living in a I mean, that cabin was maybe twice the size of this room that we're in now. There's nowhere to go. Nowhere, every mm -hmm. meal together, mm -hmm. no, no escape. And there's like full 500 people living on a tin can. Mm -hmm. you, know, you get to know the good, the bad, and the ugly very quickly. Yeah. And and fortunately for Sharon, she's got a lot of very, very good, and I had a lot of bad and ugly. But, yeah. but she stuck with me dis despite that. And so, you know, two, two years came and went, uh, you know, working, volunteering with Mercy Ships, and, you know, we felt like it was time to, to, to move on, and... We were, we'd applied for my green card and we were just waiting for it. Mm -hmm. like, well, let's, let's go back to the UK, you know, hang out there for a few months and just kind of breathe and, and then hopefully the green card will come through and we'll come stateside. Uh, well, it took longer than it should have taken. Not as long as a lot of people's take. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm grateful for that, but it took 10 months. Wow. But Sharon's visa ran out before my visa came through. So she had to leave and I had to stay. And so we had five months where she was this side of the pond and I was on the right side of the pond. I'm kidding. Mm -hmm. uh, in the UK. And so that, that's, that stunk for a while, of course. But, you know, it all worked out. Got my green card, came through, and got here November 2012. That sounds right. Yeah, 2012. And, and so that's how, and so she, her family on the eastern part of the state, a little town called Clinton. Not much there, but good barbecue. Clinton, um, North Carolina. Clinton, North Carolina. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, we, we had like a little six-week road trip up and down the east coast because we hadn't seen each other for five months. And then... You know, we kind of got back for the holidays and we're like, so what What do we do now? Like, cause I'm, I'm this English kid. I mean, I, I arrived in the States with my backpack, a suitcase and $1,500. Mm -hmm. Like that's like, I'm, I'm not equating myself in any ways to like, you know, you may, may flower people, may, may flower. Yeah. 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 Um, but still, I mean, it, uh, that's what's what I had. And we're like, so what, what do we do? And Sharon being a nurse, we thought it'd be easy for her to get a job anywhere than, than me. So I was just applying for jobs left, right and center. And honestly, I don't even remember applying for the, for this particular position, but there was Black Mountain Home for Children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They they had a posting. And what I do remember, it, there, it was a two-line job description. That was all that it was. It was nothing to it. And 
and it was, you know, Christian residential children's program, you know, looking for a foster care coordinator or something to that effect. So I applied and the next day, you know, I got a call to say, hey, <laughs> in the words were, could you come by tomorrow for a chat? I'm like, what, do, what does a chat mean? You're, you're, five, <laughs> you're five and a half hours away. What's a chat? <laughs> and but I mean, I said, yes, of course. So came and, and uh, I'm, you know, Tom Campbell is the president there. I'm incredibly grateful and will forever be grateful because he gave me a chance when on paper, I really didn't deserve, I mean, he said, you know, mm. we have this residential mm -hmm. program. We're building this independent living program for, for young adults. Mm -hmm. We're turning away all these kids who are six and under because we didn't have a foster care program. Is that something you're interested in? And of course I said, yes. I mean, I didn't say I've been in the country for two months. Yeah. I know nothing about child yeah. welfare in North Carolina. I don't have any, I don't know anything. I mm -hmm. said, yes. Yeah, sure. Of course I can do that. <laughs> yeah. and, and and he took a chance on me. And, mm -hmm. and that, that decision really gave Sharon and I the foot in to build the life that we have now. And, and for no reason other than that, I'm incredibly grateful. Mm -hmm. I have a lot more other reasons to be grateful. And so, so I started at Black Mountain doing foster care not really knowing much about foster care. I knew, so one thing I've not mentioned yet is my, a lot of my story, particularly my adult life has ended up being tied to my mum's story as a child. Mm -hmm. And so I knew a little bit, but not a whole lot. But my, and I, what I did know was my mum was orphaned when she was two, two-ish. Uh, you know, both of her parents died independently of one another in about a six month period. And, you know, there wasn't a formal foster care system. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna age my mama. Uh, mama, what's her mother? Um, but um, you know, she, she she didn't have a safety net to fall into, and you know, for for a season, stayed with a few different people, just as a three year old, four year old girl, and ended up being taken in by a brother and a sister who neither ever married. They lived together. He he contracted polio as a child and and was living with that, and so they just they lived together. His, his name was Norman. Her name was Norma. And I always laugh that their parents had the best imagination ever. Um, but um, That's confusing. Yeah, Norman and Norman. You, you go with what you know. Yeah, they had another brother called Norm. No, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. Maybe, I don't know, but no, I don't think they did. Um, and so they, but they, they took my mum, my mum never formally adopted her. It wasn't a formal foster care system, but they took her in. And in that instant, they changed the trajectory of her life. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Did they know her? Like, how did they, how did... Um, so, so th th she lived in this really small working class, you know, you see like those old images, like UK, you know, like rows of houses. Yeah, 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 it was yeah. that kind of community. Okay. And so my guess is everybody knew everybody. Sure. Yep. But they weren't related. Yeah. 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 But okay. Yeah. That was my question is how sure. did they come to sure. yep. be her yep. guardian? And, and, and like, I know, I know, I don't know all of that story still, Sure. but but I do know that, as I said, that you know that they made that decision, took this little girl in, and, and changed the trajectory mm -hmm. of her life. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you fast forward twenty six years. I think I was twenty six, twenty eight when I got to the states um, and found myself in Black Mountain, North Carolina, learning about foster care and trying to start a foster care program. And it's just a really interesting arc of God's grace. Of I'm going to do this thing fifty something years ago, and 50 something years later, something's going to, in addition, something's going to mm. tie, tie itself to that. Yeah. And so I was at Black Mountain for, for six years and it was a, a great experience and, 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 you know, in, in partnership with some phenomenal team members that we built, we built this great program and I was really proud of it. And then, you know, as, as, as things happen, you know, things, you know, Sharon and I had Callum and 
there's a lot that I love about America. One of the things that I hate is your health insurance mess because it's a, a nightmare. And, and ultimately, mm-hmm. that was the reason I had to leave Black Mountain was mm-hmm. was health insurance costs, mm-hmm. which which stinks as a reason to have to leave somewhere yeah, that you started from the ground up. But you know, a door opened with another agency, similar field to mm-hmm. to what was at Black Mountain, and so I accepted that position. And so I accepted that position in January 2019. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, this, this program had started an office in Hendersonville and wanted to know if I was interested in helping to, mm-hmm. you know, almost recreate what we'd done at Black Mountain. I said, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely, that's fine. And so I, I my, my expectation was I was going to be there for a long time. Mm-hmm. That hasn't played out. And this is one of those like, oh, you don't know about this, but I'm right. going to share with you right yeah. now. In fact, nobody outside of Sharon and my mom and maybe three other people know this. Uh, so I resigned from from this agency in August, end of August. Wow. I will say this. We have a baby coming a week from today. Yeah. More than likely he's coming before a week today because yeah. oh. he clearly looks like he's ready to come out. Yeah. All right. Um, but I, I had lunch with this guy who – so this was this was early August. This guy invited me for lunch um, who, you know, had, had been – you know, I did a couple things with over the last 18 months or so. And he was wanting to get a, a better feel for – you know, foster care and, and different programs and, and stuff like that. And and he said to me, he said, if you had a blank sheet of paper to do something different in foster care in the state, what would you do? And it was a really easy answer for me to give because mm-hmm. it's, it's the same thing I've been trying to do for eight years. And so I shared with him some of my thoughts, some of my um, my passions. And he said, this guy's really well connected. He's, you know, he's been successful in his work. And uh, he said, he said, that sounds great. He said, could you write that up for me? I said, sure, all right. So, you know, went home, took a day or two and wrote up basically what I'd said and sent it to him. And and it, the, the overlapping of this was I, I decided to, to resign from my position. There were some things going on I wasn't super happy about. I, I won't get into that, but, uh, you know, I, I, I resigned. And then a couple of days later, this this guy, Bill, called me back and he said, this, this looks great. He, he said, why, why don't we do this? Like let's do it. Let's start. Let's start a nonprofit. And I said, "All right." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Just so you know, I've, I've just resigned from my my position." And he said, "Perfect. Let let's start a nonprofit." Mm-hmm. I said, "Okay." Wow. So that was the end of August, and so two weeks ago, three weeks ago maybe, um, the the five hundred one three C fostering hopes was formally incorporated. Fostering hopes. Fostering hopes. And so I am now on this journey of great deal of learning but being able to commit myself 24 7 yeah. to the one specific thing that i've wanted to do for the last mm-hmm. eight years which i've only ever been able to give a portion of myself to because of other job responsibilities yeah uh, and so fostering hopes is purely focused on helping church communities find their place at the foster care table mm-hmm. because not everybody can be a foster parent and that's okay yeah not everybody should be a foster parent. more people than more people than there are should be foster parents, and more people who don't think that they can be a foster parent should be a foster parent. Yeah. But it is certainly not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But everybody can do something. Mm-hmm. And so our program and, and our work is going to be focused on helping churches to find their place at the foster care table, working with local counties to help them recruit more foster parents, working at the state level to help them change how they have historically done recruitment and retention of foster parents. But starting right here in Henderson, Buncombe, Transylvania counties of okay, what does it look like mm-hmm. to have a nonprofit which has given all of itself to 
working with church communities to help them develop foster care ministries. Wow. And so I applaud that. That is so, it's so biblical. Like when we look at our, our picture, we were adopted into a family that we had no part in, you know, really like we've been rescued in the same way that these children have an opportunity to be rescued. There there are so many levels of foster care, which it is. And again, I'm biased to it because I've been in it for eight years, but it is so, so overlapped with kingdom principles, Mm -hmm. whether it's, Adoption, which is for the, for some children foster care, that ends up how it going, and, and that is that is as clear of a, a connection that we as Christians can make. Um, but the other side of foster care, and really the 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 goal of foster care is helping families to get back together. Mm-hmm. And so this this idea of of reunification, mirroring with redemption and grace, in second starts, in mm-hmm. in receiving stuff that we don't deserve, mm-hmm. that we haven't worked for, mm-hmm. those two ends of that spectrum, whether it's adoption or reunification, mm-hmm. are actions of the kingdom in practice. And so talking to churches to say, hey, th- there are ch- 2019 ended and there were 2,500 children in the state that were legally free for adoption just sitting in foster homes. Mm-hmm. 2,500 kids. Wow. And that sounds like a really big number. But depending on which website on Google you believe, there's somewhere between 8,000 and 17,000 registered churches in the state. We can fix that this year. We could fix that in the next six months. 2,500 kids just mm. waiting, waiting for a family to love them forever. Mm. That is an easy fix, uh, theoretically. But And, and so, so there's that end. But then the other end is there are families, and particularly, I mean, gosh, COVID, you know, 2020 and through 2021, it is going to mushroom the numbers in foster care. 20, 2019 ended, and there were a little over 16,000 kids that went through foster care in the state. Not all at the same time, but cumulatively through the year, a little over 16,000 kids. That, that number is going to... It's going to blow up because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and we know that's going to blow up because if you look at what happened after the financial crisis in 2008, mm-hmm. the numbers blew mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. And so there, there is a, a massive slice of society which is on this knife set where it's really easy to lose your kids to foster care. It, yeah. it really is. And we, and we tell prospective foster parents all the time. You know, you, you know, if you're, you're a single mom, a young single mom, which is probably 75% of all of the moms that I've ever worked with, mm. you're a young single mom who's, on a, who, who, who's keeping it together. Yeah. You're in an apartment you can just about afford, working a minimum wage job that you can't get enough hours for, and you're getting your kid to daycare or school mm-hmm. in a in a in a car that's got 190,000 miles on the clock, and you don't live on a bus route. Mm-hmm. It takes one thing to go wrong. Yeah, one thing because if you don't have a a there's a lot of gray area in foster care, but one of the clear black and whites is if you've lost your child to foster care, you do not have a positive support network around you. Because if you did, your kids wouldn't be in foster care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if your car breaks down, you've got somebody to call who's going to help you to get to work. If you don't have that person to call, you can't get to work, you lose your job, stress increases, you can't make rent, you make some poor choices, you put your child in a difficult situation or a a dangerous situation, and, you know, three steps down the road, your kid's in foster care. Mm -hmm. And so there are so many young, particular young moms who, who are just trying to make it work, who don't have a positive support network, who don't have a community around them. And for eight years, I've been trying to tell churches that, of, hey, there is hidden in plain sight, there was this massive epidemic on our doorstep. You know, th- th- there are so many studies that have been done. There was one study, it was 83% of all incarcerated people in the States, of which there's like one and a half million. 83% of all those people have at one point in that time spent time in foster care. It's massive. Yeah. 50% of young women who age out of foster care at 18 are going to be pregnant when they're 19. 50% of young men who age out of foster care at 18 are going to be uh, incarcerated or dead by the time they're 19. 
So it snowballs. It snowballs. It's yeah. it's it's cyclical. It's generational, um, and it's 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 just hidden in plain sight. Mm-hmm. And 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 so much of of all of the social issues that we see, you can draw just a, a direct straight red line back to foster care. Whether it's mm-hmm. homelessness, whether it's substance abuse, whether it's incarceration, whether it's teenage pregnancy, any of these things. Yeah, foster care is and again, I'm biased to this. Um, but foster care is one of, if not the major root cause for all of these things mm-hmm. or many of these things. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, do we just want to keep being band-aids or do we want to do something mm-hmm. to change, to get upstream and change the cycle? Yeah. Amazing. Very cool. I have one question about what you're about to embark on sure. slash have embarked on. So is y'all's vision, you said give churches a seat at the table, to get those people a support system that's a huge i mean is that it it, that's a really big part of it okay yeah and and so the the burnout rate for foster parents nationwide is really poor it's one year or one placement that's that's national length that foster parents can stick with it and that breaks my heart because if you if you become a foster parent then typically you feel as though you've got a calling to become a foster parent right yeah and if you don't have either the, the right type of training to make the right decision about becoming licensed. Yeah. Or, or if you then do become licensed, you don't have the type of support community around you because it's it's t- it's a unique thing to do. Mm-hmm. And it, there are unique challenges in being a foster parent that biological parents don't face. Sure. And it needs that village around you. Yeah. And so, yeah, and so one of the goals is, one of the, the big areas of work is going to be focused on helping, you know, if, if I, you know, if, any given county, you know, if, if there can be, and of course it depends on the size of the county, but, you know, a dozen churches mm-hmm. that say, yeah, look, we've we, we, we got a heart for child welfare, we've got a heart for foster care, we want to we partner with Fostering Hopes, then what we're going to do is help that church to find its strengths and find what, because you can't do everything. Sure. You know, it's not a cookie-cutter kind mm-hmm. of situation. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, want, I want churches to understand the makeup of their community and congregation to understand, well, what can we do? that we can actually follow through with, mm-hmm. but that's actually going to make a positive impact in the lives of foster parents, whether that's hosting a clothing closet, whether that's hosting parents' nights out, whether that's doing work projects every quarter for foster parents, you know, wh- whatever it may yeah. be, doing something which is pouring into the lives of parents. So we give them a fighting chance to to succeed. And when I say succeed, what I ultimately mean is see their placement through because mm-hmm. that success may mean reunification. Right. Success may mean adoption. Success may mean something else. Sure. But, but what failure is, is a family not being able to see all the way through. Because if they can't, then that child has to move again. Mm-hmm. And we know every time a child moves, it sets them back six months developmentally, just off the bat, like straight away. You're moving schools realistically. Mm-hmm. You're changing neighborhoods. Ch- everything changes. Right. Yeah. And so if we can give foster parents the resources to maintain placement and be successful in that, that's what I want to see. Because if we can do that, then ultimately children get served better. Right. What kind of people make the best foster parents? Any, mm-hmm. really any. I, I mean, you, you need to have a community around you that's supportive. Beyond that, anybody. And mm-hmm. it really depends, you know, not, not every foster parent can and should serve any kind of child. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and, and, you know, you need to be 21. You need to have a stable income. It doesn't have to be an X amount. You just have to have stability. And that's about it. That's really, honestly, there's not much more to it. You know, there's training, there's, you know, there's a lot of paperwork and hoops to jump through, but... You know, if, if you've got a heart for, for children, ultimately, you've got a heart for... I, I just have this belief that if, if you've made the decision to become a foster parent, you don't do it 
is a knee-jerk reaction. Mm-hmm. It's something that's been on your heart. It doesn't, you don't accidentally. Yeah. You, no, nobody wakes yeah. up one day and is like, oh gosh, I, I got licensed as a foster parent last night. Like, you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and if, you, if you're working with a good agency, they are going to guide you to figuring out which children you should serve. Should mm-hmm. you serve sibling groups? Should you serve teens? Should you serve the babies? Should you serve the middle school? Whatever. If you have a good agency, they're going to help you to figure that out. And, you know, the makeup of your home, if you have kids, you know, if you're married, if you're single, you know, all of that stuff is going to impact to a degree the direction of, of what children you take into your home. But, you know, you, you've got to, it's my personal belief is that being a foster parent is a cool one. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I think we've all been in those positions where, you know, you know, you, you, know you, you listen to a sermon or somebody talk and sometimes it feels like you're the only person in the room, like mm-hmm. this person on the stage is talking directly to mm-hmm. you. That's what I think foster care is. Look, I'm not a foster parent. I've not been in that position. But that, that's what, from, from the hundreds of families yeah. that I've licensed, yeah. that's my takeaway, is that they, parents know when they know when they know. Either, either yeah. it's, you know, you know they just feel like God has stirred something in their spirit or, you know, they've, they've just been in this encounter where they've said, I have to do something. I yeah. have to do this. Yeah. So, yeah. Thanks. I love hearing you talk about that. Thanks. And I've learned a lot. Like, I don't know that much about that system or yeah, this is making me aware that I, know. <laughs> I should know a lot more than I do and, and this is the yeah. point and, and this and this is one of the things I'm most excited about is people know the words foster care people have seen the blind side or watch despicable me or instant family and people like oh yeah foster care and I think for the majority of society or at least in this state or this part of the state I think the majority of people are like oh there's probably people taking care of that I, I think is probably how mm-hmm. most people consider it and the truth is there are people who are trying to take care of that and are overwhelmed. There's, I've got to be real honest, there are some people who aren't trying hard enough. Mm-hmm. But I just think people don't know. People don't, we're, so, you know, we're, we're in Buncombe County right now. Buncombe County, as of, I had a conversation with one of their program managers two weeks, three weeks ago. You know, they, 375 kids they had that day in foster care. 115 of those kids were out of county mm-hmm. because there weren't enough. I, I mean, this is there Buncombe, weren't enough this people is Buncombe here. County. Yeah. You know, I'm not, you know, Early this is not, yeah, this is yeah. not a small rural, right. you know, small population county. But, you know, 115 of those kids, that 370 something were out of county. Mm. There are so many problems with that. Yeah. Both in terms of the development of children, their ability to be successful in whatever they're planning. You know, if you're out of county, your chances of being reunified are more than halved. Like it, it, it's so much harder because you don't get to see your parents that much. It's hard for your parents to see you. You, you move in school, you move, everything changes. And beyond that, it costs a county. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't live in Buncombe County anymore. I live in Henderson County, but it, this is the same statewide. It costs the county so much more money to send mm-hmm. kids out of county. Can you, out of county, you're using that as a common term. Yep. What does that mean? So, so you know, a child who is from, um, I don't even know what school district right here. Buncombe School District. Well, Asheville City Asheville, School. Okay, you know, it, you know, there's a, a teenage boy who's Ash, Asheville City High. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, he comes into foster care, and and Buncombe DSS, you know, they look at their pool of foster parents. Mm-hmm. They maybe reach out to other private agencies in the county, and they say, "Hey, do you have a foster? A, do you have a foster parent that can take this child in this school district so he can stay there? Mm-hmm. If not, do you have a, a foster home in this county who can take this child?" And if not, do you have a – and so you just okay. keep moving further and further away. And so there are, kid, there are kids from Buncombe County who are living in Charlotte. There are, but then, okay. but then okay. it gets messed, messed, messed up 
because you have kids from Charlotte who live in Buncombe County. Yeah. Oh. And, and it, it's this really broken system and really messed up dynamic of kids just being shipped left, right, and center. And it's just been happening for so long. There needs to be this moment of, all right, we need to stop and readjust and reassess mm-hmm. it yeah. because this, this isn't working. This just doesn't work. From my understanding, it's also like if I were to say, I want to adopt a kid out of foster care, mm-hmm. it's extremely challenging and expensive. Not, not expensive. Okay. Can, emotionally challenging and time challenging. Okay. So the, the, the fr- I thought there was a lot of red tape around it. Uh, I mean, not, a whole lot. not necessarily. Yeah. Okay. It, the red tape is getting through the court system of a child's plan being changed to adoption. But you as the foster parent really aren't involved in that other than your emotional um, yeah. investment. So when you said at the end of the year, there were X amount of kids ready mm-hmm. for adoption. Yeah. What is that? Yeah. So, so the, there are, there are, two parts of this conversation. One is there are a lot of people who say, I want to become a foster. I want to foster to adopt. And and what that means is I want a baby from the hospital who I can adopt and I don't have to pay $30,000 to an adoption agency. I would tell anybody don't do that. And, and I've, I've, I've lost the potential of license in families in the past because they've not liked my answer. Yeah. But, but those situations come up, but you never know when, you know, what I do tell foster parents is if you want to adopt, you will, I'll guarantee it but I can't tell you if it's going to be your first placement or your 10th placement. Now, the other side is those kids who were, there's 2,500 kids. Mm-hmm. Those kids are going to be teens, preteens, part of a large sibling group or have a physical, emotional, developmental delay. And that's why they sit in foster homes gotcha. and don't get adopted. Yeah. And so if somebody says, I, like, give me four kids, I don't care what their ages are. I don't mm-hmm. care what their story has been. You know, there are four kids that need a loving home. I can do that. Those kids exist. Yeah. So, okay, let's say I wanted to adopt or foster. Mm-hmm. I have a four-year-old. Yeah. I can't foster someone. Isn't the recommendation to not foster someone older than your oldest? There's not There's not a – it probably becomes personal. You're probably going to get different okay. responses from different okay. agencies and licensing workers. I think, I think it's a really significant thing to factor in. Yeah. Because we, we never know a child's full story when they come into foster care. Yeah. You know, it may be that they come into foster care – the known piece is they were in a neglectful home. Yeah. But what we may not know and find out three months later is they were sexually abused. Yeah. For three years. Yeah. And then, you know, if so if that child is, you know, 10 and you have a four-year-old and you know that this child's been sexually abused, you know, I would then, you know, I have a three-year-old. Would I want that child in my home? As much as it breaks my heart, I'd probably say no. Yeah. Uh, it may be that later in life we get to that point where we can take that child. Sure, yeah. But in the same breath, I've had foster parents who have taken kids who are older than their own kids, yeah. and it's been great. Okay. So it's yeah. you know I think it's I think it's it's just a very personal decision. I'm just asking you all sorts of sure stereotypical things I've heard. Yeah, you're fine. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I want copies of this on my website. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> we can all even right. edit a little blurb. Sure. If you'd like. Yeah. Very cool. So your wife is Sharon. Sharon. Yep. What sparked your relationship? You knew the date. Did yep. you know at that moment you're like. There's my wife. No, not at that moment. Yeah. It didn't take long. Yeah. Um, How long was y'all's uh, like meeting, dating? It sounds like it was quite quick. We got a, we got married a year to the day that we met. Oh, okay. Yep. Not that quick. Yep. Yeah. We we yeah. So we met. Yeah. September two thousand nine. We got engaged in uh, March yeah. something. I've got a. I made a thing of Etsy. It's in my kitchen. I just mm-hmm. apparently never pay attention to it. <laughs> uh, maybe it was May. I don't know. 
sometime. Yeah, no, I, we, so again, we, we had like this six weeks where we were in Texas and we were doing like this classroom stuff of like, what does it mean to be a missionary overseas? What does it mean to be in Africa? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and so, you know, there, there were, I, guess, I think there were like 23 of us who were in this group together. And there, there was, there was two married couples. One, one was much older. One was, he's actually the guy that married us. One of my favorite people in the entire world. His name is Marty. He, he and his wife, and they had three boys. And then every, and then and then there was myself, there was this guy called Lewis who was from Texas, who was as Texan as they come. And everybody else were girls like 18 to 30. And so like I rocked off the plane. I was like, oh my goodness, this <laughs> is not going to be good. Um, but by chance, you know, you know, they had tables up and I got sat opposite Sharon. I mean, they just, just how we sat down. And so for four weeks, we just kind of kept sitting there, sitting there. And I don't know the moment where I was like, okay, this is like, I'm in trouble here. Like, I don't know when that moment was. I do remember, I mean, it happened pretty quickly. I mean, I mean, she's pretty hot. I mean, I don't know if you see, I mean, she, she's, <laughs> so it was pretty easy. And I mean, I, I also called her Forest for like the first two or three weeks because she just sounded like, she's from, you know, she's real country. And yeah. Like, yeah. And despite that, she's she's still, <laughs> still into me. Yeah, I think I was I was I, I was I was in. And then again, so that 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 process finished, and I went more or less straight to Africa. And I was there for three months, two three months before Sharon came out with her girlfriends. And were y'all dating at that point? No, no, no. But but she was on your mind. She great deal was on my mind. Yeah. And it was it was maybe a week after. So the ship was in Tenerife, which is a, a Spanish island. Um, over the Christmas season. Uh, and so Sharon flew out with her girlfriends to Tenerife. And so I went to pick them up from the airport um, and we brought them back. And so we had a week when we were kind of hanging in Tenerife, mm-hmm. uh, which was just a lot of fun. We, we did a scuba diving course together with a couple of other people, which was like, why not? And then I think it was maybe a night or two into our sail to Togo. It was like a seven or eight day sail. Um, we were up on, so the top deck was deck eight and it used to be, you know, the joke on the ship was like, oh, if you go to, you know, if you're a single guy and there's a single girl and you're on deck eight together, then, you know, kind of love boat situation. And so we were, we were up on deck eight and, you know, it was nighttime, stars and the ocean, you know, all that kind of stuff. I won't mention that they're like the trash cans are right behind <laughs> us, but that's where yeah. we were situated. Mm-hmm. And, um, fair to say that that was the night that our relationship began and, this is going to sound really weird. I tell this. I should. I'll tell, I'll tell this story. And so we can cut it out, maybe. And so you know, it was like you know, we, we kissed and we're like you know, emotions, that kind of stuff. And uh, and so you know, I walked back down to like her cabin, which again was like four doors away from where my mm-hmm. cabin was. And you know, so she went in, and I knew that her her three girlfriends they all had a cabin together. Mm. You know, <laughs> closed the door, and she went in, and I just put my ear up against the door, um, and. I just heard, you know, heard like whisper, 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 and then just like girly squeals and giggles, and I was like, "All right, that that's pretty good. That's, <laughs> yes. that's okay. That's okay." Yeah, and so yeah, so we 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 dated for honestly just a few months, and then we got engaged, and then the ship had to go to South Africa for, to be in dry dock. It had to get the generators changed, and I was like, "Listen, we're gonna be in South Africa. Let's just get married in South Africa. It'll be way easier." And she said, "Okay." So that's what we did. There was this the most of the ship left that you know, went home, you know. A lot, all like the, the engineers and those people stayed on the ship to do the work, mm-hmm. and then a really small community of like eighty of us maybe 
when, which was predominantly, it was the school. The school was getting accredited and they had to continue. Mm-hmm. Otherwise they would have lost, you know, years worth of work. And so they had to keep the school going. And so a real small team of support folks went and we got situated. It was like an hour inland from Durban. This little town, not even a town, a hamlet called Applesbosch. Um, and it was an abandoned college for black students during the apartheid. Mm. It was just middle of nowhere. It was Zululand. Like, you know, all of the villages around us was, was Zululand. And so we, we lived there for four or five months, but that's where we got married in the, on this te- on this abandoned college for black students during apartheid. That's where we got married. And it was great. Wow. That's cool. I love that. Yeah. That's so fun. How does she steer you towards Christ-likeness? We've often joked in our marriage and our friends have joked with us that we have like a role reversal in terms of gender. Like Sharon is very, pretty steady, mm-hmm. like emotionally, you know, her outlook, you know, she, she's just pretty steady. Mm-hmm. And I am, I am not that way. I am far more emotional and fluctuate and have ups and downs. And, and she is a lot just steadier than I am. And, and, and that is, that is both a challenge, but helpful in the same breath. You know, if, if she was like me, then I, I don't even know. It would be a mess. Mm-hmm. It would just be a mess. Mm-hmm. And so I think that consistency and steadiness mm-hmm. is helpful. And and her patience, you know, the, you know there has definitely been a, a season of a couple of years where, you know, my faith has not been the strongest, mm-hmm. um, you know, either either just through laziness and, and being, you know, gosh, there's a word that really sums it up and I can't find it but you know, apathetic yeah sure that yeah that works yeah um it wasn't the word but okay same ballpark yeah and 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 Sharon's patience and again it's just consistency you know she she you know she's she's just um it, it this is I'm going to use a word which is such an overused word that it loses the power of it which is really unfortunate but it's still the right word to use she is just so good in how she carries herself, in how she is with people, in how she is with me. And and again, it it seems like just a throwaway word because it's overused so mm-hmm. much, and, and mm-hmm. I hate that. But you know, it, it is true. It's truest sense. She she's she's just good and honest and patient. Mm-hmm. And you know, we so we celebrated our tenth wedding anniversary in September. Wow! Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And you know, you know, anybody's married. You know, you, you have you know ups and ups and downs. Yeah, you it's no cakewalk. Yeah, you certainly have. And she she is a very good baker, which is a whole other point. <laughs> That's another thing. She's more than good at that. But um, it, just despite those those times where you know you, you maybe not seeing eye to eye, you know, just just patient. And, yeah. And um, and so that 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 honestly has been one of the. And I know that she she has prayed, for, you know, during those seasons of being apathetic or lazy mm-hmm. or whatever, I know that she has prayed for me and I know that she has, you know, wanted for me to refine that, that, that steady path. I can't think of the right, mm-hmm. but so, so yeah, I don't know if that really answers the question. It's great. Yeah. Oh, it does. You also have a son. Yeah. Callum. Callum. Yeah. And another little one on the way. No later than seven days time. By the time this podcast airs, you will have had. You'll have a, two, a new child. Two boys. That, that is that is a sobering thought. Wow. <laughs> that mean that means that means I'm the most rested now that I'm going to be by the time that I hear this podcast. Oh yeah, for yeah. for sure. For sure. What has fatherhood taught you? 
That could be another hour. But. It could be that I'm, well, I don't know if it's taught me, it's re- reminded me that I'm inherently not a patient person. Mm. That I can very easily get my priorities mixed up. Mm. That Sharon is a phenomenal, phenomenal, I'm going to get really close, phenomenal mother. And if, and my, my general sense, and this is probably true for a lot of, maybe I'm a bit fat. I feel like this is maybe true for a lot of dads is that, you know, days that she either has to go to work or is doing something, you know, my job is to keep him alive. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's my focus. All mm-hmm. right. You know, Sharon will be back at seven thirty. If he's alive, then I've succeeded. Success. High fives for everybody. Right. Whereas if I'm gone for the day and Sharon's at home with him, he's learning and growing and developing and expanding his experiences. Not to mention she's cooking, she's cleaning, co- yeah. doing laundry. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything. Yeah. I'll say this. So we, we bought, it took like three months to get one and track one down, but we bought a, a, a deep freezer because mm-hmm. we weren't sure, you know, with, with winter and COVID and all that kind of stuff, we wanted to be prepped. Sharon has made like two months worth of frozen meals in this. And again, she's a phenomenal cook, which is why I am... I am easily twice the man that I was in September 2009. Um, And you only have to look at pictures and you'll know that that's true. Um, I just try and keep Calum alive. Yeah. And and most of the time I've been successful. I've been a couple of times where I'm like, that was close. (laughs) Moving on. That was close. (laughs) And so that I I have, I've learned that if I can, if I can, you know, like do, do like 50% of the job that she does as a parent, then Calum's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that I've learned. How do you feel about adding another one into that keep you alive? Oh, terrified. Yeah. I've told Sharon she's not allowed to go to work for at least 15 years. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. I think it's reasonable. Yeah, totally. I think so. Yeah. Um, By then, Cal will be 18. Yeah. I mean, he'll be out of the house. No name will be 15. No name will be 15. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm really excited. I'm excited to see his face. Mm. To see what he looks like. Yeah. And that's one of those weird things as a parent, right? Like, what is this child going to look like? I think we always imagine that in their voice. Mm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I know the voice comes a little bit later. A little bit. And Calum, I mean, he's just got this sweet little voice of weird little English phrases and Americanness. But I, I'm excited to see little No Name's face just to see. So when Calum was born, he, you know, so Sharon's got long, thick black hair and, you know, all of her family just like, you know, slightly, you know, all of her skin and, you know, just black, very um, prominent hair and dark eyes. And and Calum came out like like an afro of black hair and like just so much black hair. Huh. Um, and like, oh, okay, so he's cl- clearly that gene is the most dominant thing. And so mm-hmm. my assumption is no name is going to be the same. Yeah. I really like calling him no name. You're uh, welcome. I may, I may just put that on, yeah. his, on his paperwork. Yeah, she'll uh, like that for yeah, sure. For, for real, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the Odyssey doesn't... Uh, <laughs> Odysseus tells Polyphemus that he's no name. Oh. Right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Weird reference. Par yeah. for the course. Perfect. And Hannah agrees. Yeah, um, totally. And so, yeah, I'm excited to see if, see if he looks like that or if he's going to be a little fairer. So, no, I'm excited to see that. I'm excited <laughs> yeah, yeah. to see to see Callum interact with his little brother. Yeah. I'm not excited yeah. to see Callum have to learn that he doesn't have his mom 24-7. Yeah. That's going to be tough because he's a real mama's boy. Yeah. 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 How do you think God uses your specific weaknesses? I th- okay, yeah. So I think I think one of my my biggest challenges is I get itchy feet really mm-hmm. easily. Same. Uh, and Sharon knows this. Wait, more I've than anybody. never heard that term, itchy feet. It means you've got a wanderlust. You want to mm-hmm. you want to move on to the yeah. next thing. Okay. Yeah. Are you a seven? 
I'm a three. Okay. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm about as three as it can come. Okay. Yeah. You're talking Enneagram, right? You're not just rating me from... No. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm rating you as a human. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's still, there's still adds up. <laughs> I'm, happy if you, I'm happy if you think I'm a seven. I'll still give myself a three. Um, no, I, I do. I, I get itchy feet. And it's hard. I, I've historically had a tough time just sticking at one thing. Yeah. Either being in one place at a time or, you know, daydreaming about a vacation or a different house or, you know, just, you know, just, you know, staying focused. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think that has been used in the sense of particularly the last eight years, but prior to that of starting things mm -hmm. of, of, of having a spirit of, I won't say entrepreneurship because I've not made any money off it, but um, a spirit of, we, you know, self-belief that, oh, of course we could do this. Yeah. Of course we could do this. We can do. Yeah. 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 And, and one of the challenges is sticking with it for long enough to get into a point where you can then hand it off. Mm -hmm. And so that, that, I think that's what comes to mind is, is inherently I think that that could, that wonderless, that itchy feet, that, you know, what's next idea or mentality can, can be a weakness. Because if you never see something through, you just find yourself floating through life and you haven't really put something in the ground that yeah. is mm -hmm. going to grow something. And I think, I hope that at least a few of those things that I've done have been able to do that. You know, I mean, going all the way back to being in, going the, the, uh, my year in Canada, you know, it was the very first year there. Right. And, you know, a lot of it was really fun and easy, but a lot of it was really tough because every conversation was having to explain who you are, who you yeah. are, and why you're here. But, I mean, again, it's been years since I've looked, but I, but I, I know that up to five years after we'd left, there were multiple teams in Vancouver, Canada. Mm. And I, I, I don't take any personal credit for that, of course, but as a team, as a whole, we were there laying a foundation for something that was going to come. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I hope and I think that there's been a f at least a couple of those things mm -hmm. that God's used. Mm. Very cool. Yeah, the reason I love that question and I love your response is I kind of view like God sees our weaknesses as strengths. You know, sure. like God thrives in the midst of our weakness, Yeah, which yeah. I think is beautiful and amazing and encouraging when my weaknesses are all that I can see, you <laughs> <Right>. know? <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks so much. We'll move into a little thing called the lightning round. Unless, okay. are, is there anything we didn't cover that we should have covered? Just that I hope this gets more listens than Jack Womack. That's, <laughs> yes. that's, my, that's my big hope for this podcast. <laughs> is that even if it's just one more person that listens to it, uh -huh. that I can, you know, next time I see Jack, I can say, hey, punk, <laughs> people like listening to me more than you. Just like when we do announcements. So, <laughs> I say that as a joke. Jack's great. And I fully expect that anywhere between one and 20 years time, he'll be receiving like an, an Emmy or something for yeah, writing. On that's SNL absolutely true. So, yeah. Uh, do you know that he has a podcast? I did hear he had a podcast. Yeah, yeah. you should be a guest on this podcast. That that mm -hmm. that could get messy, but it would be kind of fun. <laughs> so yeah, it is for kids. So. Well, perfect. That's my IQ level. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Awesome. Love you, Jack. Let's move to the lightning round. I kind of messed up the sound on Megan Lindley's <laughs> podcast. It's in totally the wrong place. You just It's like the midst of the conversation. It was like, kaboom. <laughs> I should be doing it just for the continuity. Every day, just little ticks on there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what's the most favorite place you've ever lived? Vancouver. What did you love about it? Everything. The mountains, the ocean, the climate, the... Mm, I would move that tomorrow without even hesitating. Me too. Uh, what popular trend bothers you? What popular trend? Mm -hmm. 
Facebook. Facebook bothers me. Okay. Do you have Facebook? I, in fact, two weeks ago, it's, it's been on my mind for about a year. I had a, a good friend who lives in Paris who, who posted something and said, I'm done with Facebook. I'm off Facebook. Yeah. And he had some reasons and they really resonated. And so it's been on my mind for a year. And then I watched the social dilemma. Oh yeah, yeah. And I ended that. I was like, yeah, all right, that's that that just pushed me over the edge. And yeah. so I, I I posted on my Facebook to say, I'm I'm off. I'm fa- you know, I want I recognize it's maybe counterintuitive. I'm going to stick with Instagram because I still want to share pictures because I still got family and friends all over the world. Yeah. And I can't just go cold turkey on them. But I'm done with Facebook. Uh, and then I was like, oh shoot, I'm starting a new nonprofit. Yeah, I probably need a little bit of Facebook. And so. I, I don't use or post on my personal Facebook. I still, my photos from Instagram still go to Facebook, but I never check it. But I will be having a Fostering Hopes mm-hmm. Facebook page. Sure. Yeah. If you could only wear one color for the rest of your life, what color would it be? Gray. Okay. Grout fit. What? Grout like, fit. <laughs> yeah. My wife always tells me I wear monochrome Oh, I get it all outfits. the time. Yeah. And she's like, yeah. It's you're wearing a grout fit. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've not heard that, but Sharon complains all the time. Like, I have gray, black, sometimes blue, and that's it. Mm-hmm. She's like, where's the color? I'm like, my personality is the color. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, what makes you feel most at peace? Full weather is one thing. When Calm is giggling. Mm-hmm. Um, we moved house in July, and we have this great front porch. And I have loved mm. just sitting on there when it's been quiet. I've got an idea okay. for something we can do. I was thinking that you could say the most American sentence possible in the most American accent you can come up with, and then we'll try and come up with the most British sentence possible in a fake British this accent. so funny. Just before this podcast, I was having lunch with some, actually, Katie Prendergast uh-huh. uh, from Missio. Yeah, yeah. And, and and she asked me the same thing. She said, can you say something in an American accent? And I nearly did, and I and I didn't, because when I first moved here, I used to do it all the time, just because yeah. it was fun. Mm-hmm. And it's honestly been years since I've even attempted, because it always turns out being some kind of like my version of rednecky kind of, sure. yeah. you know. Um, I feel like I'd need to hear something and copy it again, but. Mm-hmm. Put your hands up, cowboy. Yeah. Gonna go down to Walmart, get me a shotgun. You know, that kind of thing is probably <laughs> yeah. the most American kind of thing that I feel like I could say. But um, yeah, no. I mean, my, my family in the UK think I sound American. Yeah. Like they don't even think I sound English. Oh. Yeah. How about that? I think <laughs> you have a great accent. I love it. Thanks. Yeah. I cannot do, I wouldn't, mm-hmm. I can't do accents. Now, Mark, you can throw any accent at him and he can do it spot on. I'm going to test this theory. Sh- uh, test it. Okay. Any any accent? I mean, one time we were in the car on a road trip, and I was throwing out all, and I was like, whale. And <laughs> whale. Do whales have accents? <laughs> like the like Nemo? sea whale. Yeah, whale. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't have an accent. But, I mean, I like, couldn't think of anything else. Okay. You should ask him yeah. next time you see him. We'll have a whale off. No, not the whale. Oh. An no, ex, an no that's ex. what I want to do. Don't tell me what I can't do. <laughs> I, mean, I want to have a whale off with Mark Knox. Yeah. Do you think Mark Knox is my husband? You didn't say husband. Oh. You just said Mark. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't clarify. I was thinking it was like a Missio office kind of thing. No. <laughs> you and Mark Knox have never been on oh. a road trip. <laughs> I thought maybe you've been on the Acts 29 conference or it's, something. It could still happen. It's yeah. a good, I mean, yeah. Mark, we're know, waiting for your whale accent. Yeah. Do you know who 
My husband's yeah, name? Yeah. Okay. But you just didn't, I mean. Yeah, I got yeah. it. I got mm-hmm. you. Yeah, I didn't so, clarify. Yeah, Mark does the whales and Brian does the dolphins. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. <laughs> that is actually what John, happens. John does the kangaroo. I mean. <laughs> Even. Yeah. Could be. Well, thanks so much for spending an hour and a half with us. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You've been listening to the Vox Pop. If you want to be a guest on the Vox Pop, email voxpop, V-O-X-P-O-P at mdcashville.org. Thanks for listening. This has been Peter. Anna. And Alex. Thanks for coming, Alex. It's been fun. Thanks. See you later.